This is the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan, and I'm so pleased to introduce my guest, Monica Binchik. Monica is the Diane and Arthur Abbey Associate Curator for Japanese Decorative Arts in the Asian Art Department at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. She's the curator of the exhibition Kimono Style, the John C. Weber Collection, which is on view now at the Met and until February 20th, 2023. And she's also the author of the accompanying book, Kimono Style, Edo Traditions to Modern Design, a beautifully designed and illustrated volume that also includes contributions by Karen van Gotzenhoven, an independent fashion curator based in Belgium, as well as Japanese textile historian Arai Masanao. The exhibition and the book trace the evolution of the kimono from the late Edo period in Japan into the 20th century and explore the mutual exchanges between the kimono and Western fashion. As Will Heinrich wrote in his glowing New York Times review of the exhibition, the kimono is not just a symbol, a relic, or some kind of unchanging national dress, but a versatile, beautiful garment worn by men and women with a complicated history, and as much to say today as it said a hundred years ago. Monica, thanks so much for helping us learn about some of the many things that the kimono has to say. So when we in the U.S. think about the history of fashion, many of us tend to think in terms of European fashion, but in fact, there has been a sophisticated fashion system in Japan for many hundreds of years. Can you tell us a bit about it to give us some context for the story that Kimono Style tells? First of all, Jessica, thank you so much for the invitation to participate in this conversation with you. It is my pleasure to talk about the Kimono Style exhibition. The origins of a complex and sophisticated fashion system in Japan can be traced back to as early as the 17th century. The Nishijin district of Kyoto um, had been the center of silk weaving since the late 15th century, but the roots of silk production there in the city go back hundreds of years earlier. From the second half of the 17th century, the publishing industry began to support textile craftsmen by regular, by regular publications of kimono pattern books, which are comparable to fashion magazines such as the Vogue we enjoy reading today. Later, famous beauties and courtesans appeared in paintings and woodblock prints, similar to um, today's supermodels and celebrities. It was um, only in the last decades of the 20th century when scholars began to consider fashion as a global cultural phenomenon, not one isolated to the West. A global anthropological approach, which considers the interconnectedness of economy, culture, and identity, uh, provoked the change of view about recognizing non-Western cultures um, that exhibit the same elements of fashion, including rapidly changing styles and the signaling of social status as in Europe. Indeed, many aspects of Japan's fashion system during the Edo period from the 17th century to the mid-19th century were comparable to contemporary European examples, and from the late 19th century, they developed in tandem with Western concepts, such as department stores 
and modern marketing strategies to sell kimonos. It had the apparatus for the design, production, promotion, and sale of fashion just as complex as in the West. So the the earliest garments in the book and exhibition, many of them are from Edo period Japan, as you say. Can you offer some descriptions of what these early kimonos tended to look like? Who wore them and when they wore them? And in fact, what survives of garments from this time? The word kimono itself um, appeared in written sources in the Kamakura period from um, the, the 12th to 13th century. But at the time, it was not the name of a specific type of garment, but it was a general word describing clothing. When the mm. first Europeans reached Japan in 1543, they uh, noted that the kimono or kirumono means clothes, and that there are versions of this. So there is a separate type for the summer, for the autumn, and for the winter. And the, late, the, the one with the winter uh, was actually called uh, the kimono. It had padding and lining. And the Europeans, um, even in the 16th century, recognized that the various types of garments had um, individual names and functions. Um, what we call today a kimono is probably closest to the kosode, which was the most common garment throughout the Edo period. Kosode means small sleeve, which is a reference to the narrow opening of the sleeve around the wrist. It has nothing to do with the size of the sleeves, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the osode uh, were robes with large sleeve openings, and these were worn by aristocratic ladies. But even the aristocratic ladies wore silk kosode as an undergarment beneath several layers of the large sleeve, the osode type of garments. And commoners also wore kosode, uh, typically made of hemp, both as an undergarment or an outer clothing. And later on, as the merchants gained financial power, eventually they were um, also able to afford expensive um, silk kosode. Both men and women wore similar kosode as outer robes. They were loose-fitting, held together by thin sashes, um, and the garments were relatively wide, somewhat shorter than the present-day modern kimonos, and they had long colors. From the early 17th century, after the establishment of the Tokugawa shogunate, the garments uh, reflected a strictly hierarchical social system. What were what were the the important differences between the garments that would have been worn by? aristocratic Japanese people of the time and the ones worn by rural or, or uh, you know, the poorer Japanese? So during the, the Edo period, the military government's strict control of the society meant that dress was not an entirely free or personal choice. Many aspects, such as the use of gold and expensive techniques, were regulated by the shogunate and others, including age-appropriate colors by uh, social conventions. At the top of the social hierarchy, which was based on Confucian principles, were the samurai. On the rare official occasions when elite samurai women were seen in public, 
They wore finely crafted silk garments, uh, such as the kosode, the predecessor of the kimono, and these rooted in traditions um, dating to the Muromachi period to the 16th century with conservative patterns based on codified auspicious motifs and literatures, including the classic The Tale of Genji and poems from well-known anthologies. Of the three tiers of commoners who followed the samurai in the social order, farmers, artisans, and merchants, the merchant class women had the most freedom in deciding what to wear. Although their choices were supposed to reflect their class position and conform to sumptuary laws or regulations of personal extravagance, merchant women often disregarded such rules in order to be fashionable and stylish and to show off their, their family's wealth. They followed the latest trends and chose patterns and decorative techniques based on woodblock printed pattern books and woodblock prints. Were there any repercussions for failing to follow the sumptuary laws? Sometimes, but um, it was very rare that the uh, women were actually punished. There are a few stories describing um, that the Tokugawa shogunate actually um, confiscated the wealth of uh, certain merchant class families, but most of the times they could get away with it. Yeah. And this is an early parallel that you draw between the history of the kimono or, you know, attire in Japan and the history of Western dress is through the sumptuary laws in Japan and in Europe. How how similar were the sumptuary laws that existed in Japan and in various European countries at the time? Did they have, um, you know, were they intended to have similar effects on the societies that they governed? Yes, actually, they were they were quite similar. So um, to regulate the, the public decorum and align the consumption of um, gold, silver, expensive materials with the social status, the Tokugawa shogunate repeatedly issued sumptuary laws. And by controlling the materials and decorative techniques, each class um, could sort of identify itself by, by uh, their clothing. It also aimed to create and make uh, the visible rigid class distinctions, as well as to constrain spending. In the late 17th century, a series of edicts permitted merchants to wear only ordinary silk, which was called ponji, cotton, and raimi. And think crepe um, silk, the so-called chijimi, and expensive embroidery and tie-dyeing, the shibori, were prohibited for them. Also, the shogunate limited the price of one length of material for a padded robe, which was um, one of the most expensive garments. Um, later in the 18th century, a warning was issued against such luxuries as unusual and intricate patterns, new dyes, or expensive brocaded silks, um, which was made with a very labor-intense technique. The sumptuary laws were often issued in years of um, devastating fire or poor rice harvests, so the shogunate could reinforce its position in the economy and make sure that the merchant class women were not outshining the samurai class women. And um, these efforts um, were very similar to the ones established in Italy, for example, um, where um, 
the uh, dresses were sort of classified by gender, status, and geography. And they had uh, similar sumptuary laws that the um, Tokugawa shogunate issued in the Edo period. The emergence of a wealthy and uh, influential merchant class in Italy in the 16th and 17th century prompted um, the government to regulate appearances. So um, the social standing uh, was immediately visible and it was against the newly rich from uh, presenting themselves as upper class. Mm. I wonder if I could ask you to return to something that you mentioned briefly earlier, which my understanding is that one of the ways that we have as much information as we do about some of the the earliest examples of these garments is through these pattern books that were put out. Um, and these are particularly interesting in the, in the story that you tell in the exhibition in the book in the context of a thread running through the whole story of kimono style, and that is of the lives of the women um, in history as they relate to the history of the kimono and of fashion in Japan more generally. Um, there's a fantastic image in the book and the show of women gathered around one of these pattern books. So if you could tell us a little bit more about them and also about what what kinds of details we have now about the positions and the interests and the families of women who wore particular garments as they're reflected in the in the patterns of the fabric and the kimonos themselves. As you mentioned, the, the woodblock printed pattern books or the hinagatabon in Japanese are fascinating and um, they reveal a lot about the um, sophisticated fashion system because these were regularly published and um, women enjoyed um, just looking at them and they also used these to order these um, to order their own garments. So unlike samurai women, merchant class women could um, follow the latest trends and quite freely choose patterns and decorative tactics. So sometimes they um, had a conversation with the shop representatives, they looked at the woodblock printed pattern books together, and it was very helpful to pick up the uh, latest uh, styles, including colors, dyeing techniques, and patterns. The, these hinagatabon were um, available in bookshops in big cities such as Kyoto and Edo, and they are quite similar to today's fashions magazine. So especially the merchant class women enjoyed perusing them at home and um, used them as a tool for ordering the most up-to-date Kosode fashions. From the mid-17th century to the mid-19th century, approximately um, 200 Hinagata books were published in Japan. They serve as a very important resource to date popular patterns because we can compare the patterns with the publication date of the book. Mm -hmm. We also can follow the changes in the distribution of the motifs on the surface of the kosode. And they also document the development of dyeing and decorative techniques. So in, in certain books, we find comments on uh, dyeing techniques and quite detailed descriptions of the most popular colors. In um, these uh, books, we can find drawings of the kosode 
all these shown from the back, spread out flat, and the patterns are distributed on the surface. And next to the drawing, you can find the uh, comments in Japanese uh, describing either techniques or the patterns or um, the, the association of the pattern with a classic or a poem. Yeah, it's a moment that really makes this story so accessible because it feels completely contemporary. You know, the, the idea of the pattern books and the way the women use them. Yes, and um, it also shows the cooperation between the textile workshops and the uh, publishers of the books. So it's really interesting to learn about the um, economical network they used to um, spread the information about the latest trends. Yeah. So 1853 and 54 were particularly pivotal years in Japan. Would you talk about some of the changes that took place then and the effects that they had on textile manufacturing and fashion in Japan specifically? So um, after Commodore Perry appeared at the coast of Japan with his black ships, um, political and historical changes um, started to reshape Japan. And eventually this led to the collapse of the Tokugawa shogunate in 1868. So when they were overthrown uh, by the supporters of Emperor Meiji, it restored the emperor's political power and brought sweeping changes to the um, bureaucratic and economic system and led to the establishment of a modernized form of government. So Edo was renamed Tokyo and became the capital, and the young Meiji emperor moved from Kyoto to the castle formerly occupied by the shoguns. Um, the Meiji reforms introduced a constitutional system, and uh, high-ranking samurai were abolished and the four-tier social system was dissolved. Um, so clothing played an important role in how Japan tried to present itself on the world stage as it balanced its pride in its traditions and also um, tried to be seen as a modern nation state and one of the Western uh, countries. In the mid-19th century, it was first the male government officials and military personnel who um, followed the Meiji Emperor's lead and adopted Western-style uniforms and suits to project an up-to-date image of Japan. And from the 1880s, the Empress, a wife of the Meiji Emperor, um, also promoted Western-style fashion but she emphasized that these Western-style garments should be made of Japanese materials. So she wanted to advance the domestic textile manufacturing. So actually, the modernization of the Japanese fashion system took place first in the textile production. After the collapse of the shogunate in 1868, the global trade and industrialization uh, vastly expanded Japan's access to expensive or restricted materials um, such as wool, cotton, and machine spun silk. The importation of the uh, European aniline or chemical dyes led to color palettes that couldn't be achieved with natural dyes that were uh, created from vegetables and flowers, plants. 
So uh, vivid colors such as deep violets, reds, greens became very fashionable. At the same times, at the same time, we see a, a fresh design vocabulary combined um, realistic depictions of flowers with traditional auspicious motifs in modern compositions on the kimonos. So um, the kimono patterns in the early to mid 20th century increasingly um, drew from Western art movements, including organic patterns characteristic of the Art Nouveau and the bold geometric forms of Art Deco. Eventually, the repeating motifs, which became larger and larger, replaced the intricate decorative compositions that were inspired by literature in the Edo period. And so, you know, Japan had access to Western fashion, Western dyes, dyeing techniques, but it is also true, you know, by the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th, that Japanese style dress and the kimono started to have an influence on Western fashion design. Who were some of the Western designers who took early particular interest in the kimono? So the, the European designers in the early 20th century looked at other um, cultures for alternative to the constrictive S-shaped Edwardian silhouette that was popular in Europe at the time. Uh, most of them were familiar with the kimono through the woodblock prints, the ukiyo-e uh, representations. And um, one of the first couturiers in Paris was Paul Poiret, who made his first loose dress in 1903 with hints of the kimono shape. And in 1906, he uh, presented his first collection to be worn without a corset based on the loose-fitting kimono. So that was a very important turning point um, in the history of modern Western fashion that the kimono helped to liberate women from the corset, from the constrictive um, form of, of dressing. Poiré um, said about himself that um, he is not very good at sewing dresses, but uh, he wanted to experiment with uh, draping the fabric instead of um, creating the typical S uh, or hourglass uh, shape, uh, creating a draped silhouette on the body rather than uh, trying to emphasize its silhouette, um, create an envelope around it. And several other designers emulated Poiré's new fluidity, including uh, Jean Paquin, whose loosely draped opera coat from 1912 was published in the Gazette de Bonton as it's one of the iconic pieces of the uh, opera coats inspired by the Japanese kimono. This is the time when the Mikado and the Madama butterfly were very popular in the opera. So uh, women wanted to emulate the style of uh, the garments they saw on stage. And uh, these opera coats uh, became um, iconic styles and uh, the representation of the kimono um, came out from the indoor uh, fashion. It was used previously as a morning dress mm. or morning gown, but with the new designs uh, focusing on the opera coats, it became a fashion statement that showed the world of its 
that's very progressive uh, bohemian mindset. Mm. And so as the cross-cultural exchange continues into the 20th century, as Japan is rapidly industrializing and again returning to women, the role of women in particular is shifting. How has the look and the role of the kimono changed in Japan? So from the from the 1920s, 1930s, we see major changes in both the kimono production and um, merchandising. Um, the department stores had a major role in um, developing a new fashion for the kimonos. And um, of course, the old kimono fabric shops, which were called gofukuten, um, they sold high-quality made-to-order kosode, the predecessor of the kimono, um, from the 17th century. But these stores were uh, modernized and turned into modern department stores in the late 18, in the late 19th, early 20th century, such as the Echigoya, the Shirokiya, the Matsuzakaya, um, and they all had branches in multiple cities. And the new merchandising um, was developed alongside the, the sale of Western clothing in Japan. So, for example, one of the first shops to sell Western-style fashion for women was the Shirokiya in Tokyo. Um, but uh, the Mitsukoshi and the Echigoya also uh, began selling Western clothing um, around um, the late 19th century. These uh, Japanese department stores adopted Western business and marketing methods, and their executives studied the John Vanamaker department store in Philadelphia and the Harrods in London. Uh, so from the early 20th century, for example, the Mitsukoshi introduced the showcase display system, and they were also selling foreign products, while, of course, um, staunchly advertised kimono. Uh, they also adapted uh, Western retail practices, such as plate glass windows, and invested in comprehensive market and product research to support the creation of contemporary fashion, and to promote a modernized lifestyle. This is the time when Japanese women could join the workforce. So women worked as phone operators, secretaries, waitresses, so they had their own income and uh, they were able to buy new kimonos for every season. So the department stores, through the publication of catalogs, postcards, posters, promoted new fashions, new patterns for each season. And they um, promoted a new type of ready-to-wear kimono, which was called meisen, that these working-class women could easily afford. Um, throughout the Edo period, high-quality silk was accessible only to the elite. And the commoners uh, used inexpensive um, silk woven from um, B or C quality cocoons. But in the um, early 20th century, new techniques, including the power loom and the aniline dyes, uh, contributed to the creation of affordable, stylish kimonos, uh, which were made of an inexpensive silk woven from pre-dyed yarns um, through a technique known as ikat or kasuri in Japanese. 
through by the 1920s and 1930s, working and middle class women uh, could buy casual, brightly colored, ready to wear modern kimonos in department stores with bold graphic patterns. And um, Western styles such as the Art Nouveau and the Art Deco, also uh, modernist movements such as Cubism, the Dutch, the Steel, and Italian Futurism had a strong impact on the kimono designs around that time. And so by <clears throat> mid-20th century, would it have been equally acceptable for a Japanese woman working as you know, a secretary in an office to come to work wearing a ready-to-wear kimono as Western dress? The ready-to-wear kimonos were um, basically still a Japanese dress, but modernized. So the shape didn't change much. The modern kimono became longer and narrower, but it was still a traditional Japanese-style dress. Um, young women had the option to acquire uh, Western-style clothing at the department store, but probably at that time it was still more expensive than the mm -hmm. Maisen kimonos, mm -hmm. but it was cer certainly a choice of style. And probably this is um, another interesting aspect of, of um, the 1920s, 1930s, that more young women had the option to define their identities through clothing. So if you wanted to follow the traditions of your mother and grandmother, you could wear the traditional kimono with traditional patterns. If you wanted to look more modern, but still wanted to um, use a kimono, you could pick up the mason or a similar modernized kimono, but you could switch completely to Western style look and the department stores promoted this side by side. So interesting. So I think the last question I want to ask is about the some examples of recent and contemporary designers uh, from Issei Miyake and Rei Kawakubo, Japanese designers, to Alexander McQueen, the late British designer, taking inspiration from the kimono or from traditional Japanese dress. Um, would you talk a little bit about some of the ideas, either cultural ideas or, in fact, sartorial ideas that their kimono-inspired garments express. So um, after the Second World War, Western styles increasingly replaced kimono as everyday wear in Japan. And the Japanese designers who had grown up at the time, including Isimiyake, Rei Kawakubo, or um, Yoji Yamamoto, thought to reinterpret the identity of this garment and um, create the uh, new movement, the neo-Japanism neo in fashion. This started in the 1970s when the Japanese designers took Paris by storm. By the 1980s, it had fundamentally changed Western fashion. Even before um, this turning point, a few Japanese designers had paved the way from Tokyo to New York and Paris. Um, for example, Hanae Mori, um, the well-known female designer, was well-established in Japan, um, where she was known for making Western-style clothes. Mm. And um, she um, created 
a collection for the New York Fashion Week in 1965 that became a groundbreaking um, um, move. And um, she, she was the designer who was characterized by the first who break the oriental mold and move into the, into the fashions the West can wear without feeling like uh, Chocho-san. So um, Hanae Mori had a very important role in um, creating uh, this uh, path uh, for the following designers. So um, the probably most well-known Japanese designers um, is Issey Miyake, who arrived in Paris with a collection in 1974 based on the one piece of cloth concept. Like the kimono, these garments were made of a single bolt of fabric and uninterrupted flat cloth, which um, were hung from the shoulder, draped. So they create the new relationship um, of the garment to the body um, through emphasizing the, the space between the, the body and the fabric. And that space um, allowed the free movement and um, created a style that became very popular in the West. Um, later, the um, avant-garde work by Rei Kawakubo and Yoji Yamamoto, who um, arrived on the Paris fashion scene in uh, 1981, were really transformative. Uh, critics related their uh, deconstructed look um, to the devastation uh, of an, the atomic bomb. It's a, such a revolution in the, in the fashion world. Um, they um, sort of looked at the two designers um, um, as um, artists who um, changed how we understand fashion. Um, their unshaped garments embodied a different Japanese beauty uh, than that expressed by earlier Japanese designers. They integrated principles about negative space from Zen Buddhism and the wabi-sabi um, idea, which celebrates uh, simplicity and impermanence and um, deliberate imperfections such as holes and visible seams um, characterize their garments. Monica, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me today about kimono style. It is as eye-opening as it is beautiful as both an exhibition and a book, and I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so much for the conversation, Jessica. It is my pleasure to um, promote the exhibition and the beautiful book. The exhibition, again, is up now at the Met and it will run until February 20th of next year, 2023. And the book can be purchased now wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening. Please visit us online at yalebooks.com for more episodes of the podcast, as well as information about this and all of our other books.